This is episode two of season two of The Nathan Berry Show, where we're talking about building excellent, fantastic audience-based businesses. So this season of the show is codenamed Audience. Let's jump in. This season of the Audience Podcast is sponsored by Kajabi. Kajabi is an online course creation platform. You can use it to sell really any kind of information product, courses, membership sites, ebooks, any of that. And instead of doing a normal sponsorship spot for them, I thought it'd be more fun to bring on someone from Kajabi and take some of the, the knowledge that they've learned over all the years of selling you know, tens of thousands of, of uh, courses and all of that on their platform and see what we could teach you through that. So I'm going to bring on Steve from Kajabi to tell us a little more about selling courses online. So Steve, what sort of things should you give away in order to build your audience and your brand? What should you give away for free? Yeah, you know, there's plenty of stuff that you can give away. You might have heard of people giving away things like PDFs or eBooks, free reports to build their authority. And, you know, we're not totally against them, but the truth is we don't actually recommend people who aren't naturally gifted at writing to spend a a bunch of time trying to produce one. You know, the reason is that depending on your industry, these types of text downloads, they can be actually very overplayed and seen as a commodity. Okay, that's interesting. So if we're not giving away text or PDFs, which is kind of the default that everyone goes to, what do you see working? Well, for us, we've noticed that everybody wants to give you, you know, like a report on something like, you know, five ways to lose belly fat in the next 30 days. And and that sounds great. But then when every, you know, popular fitness guru out there is peddling this stuff, the market starts to become averse to it. And in the end, you know, they realize that all these PDFs end up with this big sales pitch at the end or something like that. And PDFs just tend to be less personal. They don't help you stand out. People mostly skim them anyways. And so something we're actually bigger on that we recommend to our customers is instead of spending your time trying to create a 15 or 30 page report and or trying to outsource one and then going through several drafts and trying to get it right, try an online course instead. So you're thinking of giving away just a short online course for free usually that's the part that people would think of charging for. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I know I know that a lot of people are thinking, okay, online course, that sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like this big project that I would actually charge for. Uh, but the truth is it really doesn't have to be. And, you know, of course, at Kajabi, that's what we've created our products to do. With the new Kajabi, you can, you can literally just upload a couple training videos, you name your course, you publish it. And with the software that's available today, you don't need to worry about all the technical stuff. Just worry about your content. And you know you don't have to even spend your time trying to write things in a PDF. What we found is that videos work very well. And so just film a couple videos, some of your best material. If you still wanna give away that PDF, go ahead and use it as an attachment inside your course. A big thanks to Kajabi for sponsoring this episode. You can learn more about Kajabi at kajabi.com and uh, just start selling any of your digital content, sell courses, info products, any of that through Kajabi. Paul, thanks for talking with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so I always like to start by talking about uh, a little bit about where your current audience is and what you're focused on, but really what we want to get back to is the the version of Paul before he had any kind of an audience. So why don't you give us, you know, 30 to 60 seconds on what you're doing right now and what your current audience is. Sure. So right now, because I do a couple things, I have a couple different audiences. So I do web design, which I don't really need to have a big audience for because you only need to do maybe 10 projects a year for that to work out. I also have a newsletter, which I focus on a lot, which is I think is why I'm on the show today. And I write for them every week and I share with them what I'm working on. But then the other thing that I do is a course for freelancers that's online called The Creative Class, where I've been working on building an audience for that as well. So those are kind of the three main things that I'm that I'm doing right now. Nice. So when you were just getting started, I remember first coming across your stuff when you had you had a vegan cookbook and then you also had another book called Be Awesome at Online Business, right? That yeah, that's correct. Actually before this call, I was like, what was my first newsletter that I sent out? Because it was around the time when I released my first book and I went and looked at it. I was like, oh wow. <laughs> 
I didn't think that I'd learned so much. And then I looked at that and I looked at what I did for that and where I am now. And like, I think I have learned a couple things, two or three at least. So, so what are some of the things that really stood out to you as like, whoa, I've learned a lot since then, like glaring mistakes or any of that? So the first email was about three sites I launched, an article on business and advertising my vegan cookbook. So you, you had, did I count five calls to action? So at least. Yeah, it was, there was absolutely like, there was just no focus. It was just, here is all of the things click on all of the things. And how many people was that sent out to? Ah, uh, 213 people. Okay. So yeah. where, where did those 213 people come from? Was, were you blogging already or, or what? Yeah, I had just started writing articles on my site. I had just released a vegan cookbook and then I'd obviously been doing web design for probably about 14, 15 years at that point. So I was kind of doing a bunch of things. Nothing had really come together yet. And these people on the list, the 200 people had just signed up because I had a link to the MailChimp signup page at the bottom of a couple of my articles. And that was it. Like it wasn't even, I didn't even embed the form at that point. I just had like, here's the link to like that EAP URL something. Yeah. That was it. And I think it probably took me about four or five months to collect those 200 something people. <laughs> okay. And so that was from a handful of articles. Were you writing about like web design in general or what were you writing about? Yeah, I made the mistake that a lot of web designers make and I was writing f articles for web designers, but I was trying to attract web design clients. So there's a big separation there. And wait, I had wait, wait, wait. So you're <laughs> saying that people who hire web designers don't go around reading articles on like CSS best practices? Exactly. They want to read about how to make more money with their business or what they can do when they're looking for a web designer, that sort of thing. Kind of different audiences. And people like Zeldman, mm -hmm. he writes for web designers because he has courses and books and events and a yeah. publication for those people. Whereas I had absolutely nothing to offer web designers at that time. Now I kind of do because I have a course, but at the time there was nothing. So it was, there was a bit of a disparity there and I'm glad I picked up on that and I changed how I wrote completely from like figuring that out to the day before figuring that out. Every single thing that I wrote past that was markedly different. How long did that take you to figure out? A long time. Like it took me, yeah, basically probably, I don't know. I don't know how long I was writing articles that were kind of a web design slant, probably at least a couple months and then I figured, then I, then I realized, Hey, the people that I want to give me money wouldn't want to read these articles cause it's not for them. Right. Yeah. So when you were starting out and you were starting to write, what was the goal? You know, you're trying to grow an audience so that you could do what was it just attract clients? It was actually just to see if I could make a go at writing. Cause at the time I was, I'd been doing, cause I've been doing web design forever. And I felt like, I wonder if I apply some of the things that I've learned from building an audience for web design to a, a new skill. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I have people pay me decent amounts of money to design websites. I have a waiting list in that. I'm like, can I replicate what I've learned in a totally new field? So I thought, okay, writing is kind of, I like writing. I've always kind of written. And then I was like, this will be interesting because now I need to apply volume to the equation because with web design clients, I, I need like a dozen, two dozen clients at the most on any given year. So I need a super tiny audience to make that sustainable for writing books and courses that you don't sell those for $10,000. You sell them for less. So you need to build a bit of an audience. So I was like, what, what can I learn from bringing volume into the equation for figuring out a niche and an audience and providing value and then ultimately selling things to them. So I didn't actually have any specific goals in mind. I just wanted to see what I could learn quickly to apply to this new thing, this, this writing thing, which I hadn't really been doing that much of up until that point. Got it. And so then the first product that you came out with was the vegan cookbook. <laughs> yes. Which obviously makes sense. I'm writing for web designers. I'm selling web design as a service. So I wrote a vegan cookbook. Right. Whenever you find yourself with two <laughs> separate audiences, you should always add a third unique audience. Exactly. Exactly. Further distract yourself. <laughs> I hope no one's actually like seriously taking notes of like, hmm, oh, th a third audience? Really? Okay. Pa Paul and Nathan said to do this. <laughs> I'm just going to stop this podcast right now and get to work. Yes, don't, exactly. don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. So how, how much did you sell the cookbook for? How did the launch go? Yeah. Share some of that story. 
So I think I, I don't even remember what I sold the cookbook for. I think it was $7 to start. And the reason that I wrote a vegan cookbook was because I joined Instagram when Instagram started and I make all pretty much all of my own food from scratch for my wife and I. And I just started Instagramming photos of that because that's what you, you use Instagram to post pictures of your pets, your kids or your food. So I, at the time I didn't have any pets and I don't have any kids. So it was food. And then people started asking like, Hey, when is the book coming out? I started to get thousands of followers and people were like, Oh, when's the book coming out? I'm like, I didn't know that I was writing a book, but then I think I'm writing a book. So, yeah, I think I sold it for $7 and I put up a splash page like a, or a landing page to collect email addresses, which was one of the only smart things I did back then. So I realized I was writing a book. The first thing I did was write an outline. The second thing I did was put up a landing page that had, if you like my Instagram photos and you're interested in plant-based whole foods, I'm writing a cookbook, sign up to hear about it. And then I got to work on, on writing the book. So I think when I launched, I sold, I don't know, probably a couple hundred copies. Right now, I think it's up to, and it slowly kind of grew. And then I started writing for publicate, like vegan publications or health magazines or that sort of thing. And then it would sell more. I think right now it's up to about 12 grand in sales and about 1200 uh, books because it's free now. So people, I like, I, I when I sold over ten thousand copies, I was like, uh, that's enough. People can just get it if they want it. So and now the numbers work out to about a buck a book. Okay, but it was seven dollars. Then I think I put it to five dollars. I wasn't. I didn't really want to. Like, I didn't think I could make money on it, so I just released it. I hadn't read Authority at that point. <laughs> So I was just like, I'm just going to write a book and whatever. There's money, but it doesn't need to, it doesn't matter about that. So I just released it. All right. And, and so for an initial thing that actually, that did pretty well, especially in a market that probably isn't known for paying for things. Yeah. It's, but it is a super niche audience and right. vegans are a very tight knit community for good or for, for worse. <laughs> They're very close. And there, at the time there was only, I think myself and maybe two other guys who were writing cookbooks and writing about veganism. So it kind of, I kind of stood out a bit because it is, it's mostly women writing awesome products or creating awesome products for the vegan community. So it's like myself, uh, Brendan Brazer, who does way better with the, like the Vega stuff and, um, Brian Patton, the sexy vegan. And that was about it for guys at the time, which was interesting. Yeah. It's interesting how in these fields they get totally dominated by one gender or the other. Someone else comes into it. Like I, you know, there's a few women that have really made great names for themselves in web design mm -hmm. and, you know, people love hearing that outside opinion. And, and so I think that makes a big difference because it's just one more thing where that makes you unique. Yeah, exactly. And even in like the online course space, like there's so many guys and then there's somebody like Marie Forleo who just crushes everybody right. in terms of like online courses. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, and she does it by like excluding half the market where she's like, Oh, yeah. school, you know, it's for women. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's so, it's so smart. Like nobody was making products for business products for women at the time. Right. And people like her and Danielle Laporte came along and they were like, we can do that. And then they did that. And then they just have like the most crazy successful businesses because of it. Yeah. And it's amazing how you can take kind of the same, the same thing because all the business training really that all of us in this entire industry are giving, it's, yeah. it's like 80 to 90% the same. Yeah. What makes it unique is everyone has their personal story or their angle or they're focusing on a specific niche or something like that. Um, but the, you know, all the ideas build an audience, you know, build anticipation before a launch. Mm -hmm. Uh, don't price like an idiot, you know, those sort of things. It's all the same advice. Yeah, exactly. It's just about getting super, super targeted and focused on how you position it yep. to specific people. And people are scared of that. But then I see it working and you see it working. So, right. So you shouldn't be scared of that. You should exactly. embrace it. And, and that's how fantastic audiences are made. So you yeah. just find that one thing that makes you unique and, uh, don't worry that, you know, like Marie Forleo, you're excluding half of the entire population. Yeah. You know, because there's, I know tons of guys that learn from Marie's stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Anyway. Enough on that. So vegans, you yes. were, uh, 
you don't really target vegans anymore in your writing. Why is that? No, I re- sometimes I think finding your audience and developing your audience and talking to your audience requires a couple tries sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I figured because I like vegan cooking and because I like posting these vegan photos on the internet, I should have vegans as an audience. And then I tried that and then it's just not as it, it it's not sustainably interesting to me. Like I didn't want to write a second vegan cookbook. I like the one that I wrote and I think it's great and there are so many nut jokes in it, but I just felt like what I know the most and what I'm passionate about the most and where I think ultimately more value lies for my audience and more money lies for me in terms of revenue from selling things to that audience is in more of an online business and a freelancer thing. So I feel like I've freelanced for longer than anybody else that I know. Like I've been doing web design since the nineties for my, like working for myself. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like that's something that, I, cause the thing with audiences in order for them to grow and in order for them to find value in your stuff, you got to keep talking to them you got to keep interacting with them in whatever way you show up for them, like in their inbox or doing podcasts or that sort of thing. And if you're not interested in that, like if you lose interest after a month, then what's the, like, what's the point? Like, so I felt like that was a good audience to have for a little bit, but then I, I needed to change it. Yeah. I think that's, that's interesting that when you're picking an audience, you need to think, well, I'd say when you're picking your first audience, there's so much to learn as far as how to how to attract the audience, how to write consistently, how to position yourself, all these sort of things that the the first audience that you pick probably doesn't even matter that much. Yeah. Because you can learn all of those things kind of in the in this little playground sandbox and then apply it to something else. Like I think about James Clear, where he he started a website called passivepanda.com and it was all about getting passive income. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really care about that topic. He kind of did at the time, but he was probably only like eight months or a year into it before he started to get bored. But he realized he was learning all of these things about growing an audience. And, and he built that list to, I think it was like 15,000 subscribers. Yeah. And then, you know, and he was able to make a full-time living off of everything that he was doing there. And he just learned all these things. And then he decided, I don't like this audience. This isn't where I want to go. And so he shut down the entire thing. Yeah. Started jamesclear.com and started writing about habits and, you know, all the things that he really cared about. But he took everything that he'd learned in that playground, applied it to to the new site. And now in like two and a half years, he picked up 150,000 email subscribers and, ha- you know, has the fastest growing single author blog, I think, in the history of the Internet. You know, and so it's like, I, I, you know, you can learn these things with your first audience and in this little playground and then move on to something that you actually want to do. So I guess you exactly the two points that I wanted to make with that were one, the first audience you pick doesn't matter that much because you don't have to get it right the first time because you can always pivot. Mm -hmm. But then when you are thinking about it, take that topic and think, is this what I want to be talking about? you know, two years, five years from now. And if it's not, then maybe try to figure out what that is and go for that audience. Yeah. And the other thing that I noticed was I thought, because my second book was a book about online business and I'm like, nobody is going to buy the vegan cookbook and the other one. I'm like, they're so, they could not be more different. It's silly on my part, but they could not be more different. But what I found too was that a lot of the people on my original vegan mailing list, and I started a second mailing list when I got more clear on what I wanted to talk about and how I wanted to show up. A lot of people, I would say more than 50% of people followed me over and they bought both books or they signed up for the other mailing list because I found as well that the topic, it matters a lot to the creator, but the audience, I think a lot of times just wants that creator's perspective. And obviously the topic is important, but it's not as important as what that person brings to the table, like their unique voice and the way that they talk about it or the way that they approach a subject or that sort of thing. So I've actually seen a ton of carryover from two totally different things that I was doing that all kind of tied together. I think James as well with, um, with his first mailing list, I think that just kept growing. It didn't, he didn't like delete everybody and start again. And I don't think that many people dropped off from like one focus to another focus for audience. 
Right. Well, actually, what he did is he um, went totally silent for more than six months. And then I was like, James, you really should email your old list and at least tell them that you're writing twice a week yeah. in this other place. And he was like, no, but it's a new topic. And I'm like, no, no, no. They're going to care. They like you. Exactly. They, you know. they like James. It's not the topic is important, but it's the fact that it's James is more important. Right. Yeah. And I've gotten emails from people when I started to make the switch from talking entirely about design to talking about marketing and audience building and all that, where people were saying, you know, I didn't care about any of marketing or sales or online business stuff. I was just a designer. But then once you made that switch, because yeah. I was interested in you, I, you know, made the, the same switch. So I think that's why, uh, it's good to start. Well, I get flack for this with whenever I start a project, like I don't go buy the domain names for it. I put mm-hmm. it all under nathanberry.com. Yeah. I get emails from people. Cause I think like appdesignhandbook.com. I really should buy that domain because I think it's still available. Um, <laughs> or it was until <laughs> until until now. Um, when this episode airs, someone's like, ooh, Nathan, now I'll sell it to you for $1,000. Um, I'm not going to buy it just to save anyone. <laughs> so then when you pivot to talk about that next thing, you know, if you've built a personal brand, then a bunch of people will follow you. But if you've built a... a your brand and your audience and everything entirely around like, let's say you were putting out vegan cookbook recipes, <laughs> but you were doing it without you being inserted into it. It was just like, here's the recipe. Here's how to make it. Here's photos of it made. Enjoy, you know, yeah. like robotic Paul. Yeah. Then I don't think people would have followed you over. No, and I don't think they would have followed me in the first place because <laughs> there's enough people doing that. Same right. with the, what I write about now. It's more they want my pers- my perspective and my story and that same bad jokes that I was making about vegan cooking when I was writing for that audience are the same bad jokes that I make about creativity and freelancing. Like my joke repertoire hasn't increased, <laughs> but people, uh, it's me, right? So I make silly jokes and people like that sometimes. Yep. That's why I have a hard time when I see someone starting a new site or starting out and trying to write these really detailed tutorial posts, which are fantastic. But if they write them in a really dry way where it's like, if I can get to the end of an article and not know who wrote it by the style and the stories and things like that, then I think you failed as a writer. Yeah, I, I agree. And this happens with guest posts all the time where people will write guest posts on these big sites, like take, I don't know, Smashing Magazine as an example. Mm-hmm. When you write for them, if you write in a really dry style, then the only time you get to talk about your stuff is, you know, in that little byline at the end. Yeah. But the way I write, I get to talk about my stuff all all through the entire post because it's just, it's all my stories. It's all my examples. It's when I did this, here's how that worked out. And when I was designing this site, here's what I learned. And, you know, you bring that that personal element to it and the people actually resonate with you and you're not just another source to get you know how to sell products online or how to design websites that information yeah. from yeah i write the same whether it's for like fast company or inc or for my newsletter it's still just it's easier as well like i don't i don't know how to create filters for like oh this is my ink magazine voice for writing or like this is my the next web voice i don't know how to do that i just know how to write like me so that's just i don't bother filtering it cuz that would probably take too long <laughs> and it'd be hard and it wouldn't be nearly yeah, as much fun exactly Especially writing those long, like I have a couple, like how to posts that are like four or five thousand words long. It would have, it, they would have been way too boring to write if I didn't inject my personality and silly jokes throughout. Yep, absolutely. And if it wasn't like just a little bit offensive in some place, like <laughs> exactly, that's it's a Paul trademark, <laughs> right? If you're not slightly offended by the time you get to the end of this article, I'm sorry. You know, exactly. Send me an email. I will apologize. Yes. Not offended you. Um, <laughs> so you have the the vegan cookbook out, and then you do the be awesome at online business book, and that's really the book that that is actually written for people that you want as clients. Mm-hmm. And so you're starting to realize that mistake and and fix it. Um, 
did it did it do well at attracting clients for you? It did. It did too well because my web design business is intentionally not scalable. So I instantly got way too I became the authority of like how to hire a web designer or how to build a web project and I got inundated with requests. Like I think the week I launched it I had almost as many like requests to work with me as book sales. Like it was just it was it was just silly how many people were like, "You wrote a book on this. I like the book on this. The next logical step is to pay you money to redo my website." And it, my calendar booked out way too far in advance, like instantly. But it was it was good. Like I didn't really have any problems attracting web design clients before that. But then that was just like, boom! Like everything exploded. Yeah, I think that's fascinating because. There's so many web designers that they're, or freelancers in general, you know, their benefits that they list. They're like, oh, I'm going to do a standards based design, or I'm really good at responsive coding, or, you know, I'm going to use the latest CSS3. And then if you come out there and say, like, okay, here's how to design a website that converts well, here's how to put a team in place for the project. Here's how to actually make sales and you know, all these things that the person actually cares about then, mm-hmm. then it makes sense where it's like, wait a second, there's one person here out of a thousand who actually cares about my business goals. Yeah. yeah. Let's hire him. Yeah. It's all about positioning. Cause I'm not the best designer. I'm not the best at anything. But even if you look at my portfolio and I get emails from designers all the time, like I can't believe your web design portfolio doesn't have a single screenshot. It's just writing. And it doesn't even talk about web design. It talks about business. And like, yeah, yeah, it works. It 100% works for 100% of the time for the audience that I'm trying to attract. Hmm. So, and that's how I write book sales pages too, is I, yeah, it's all about the, what the, the benefits are to the user instead of just listing like, these are the features and the topics and blah, blah, blah. People don't care. People want what's in it for them. So I give it to them. Yep. It makes a lot of sense. Even I, I, I should, I'll have to go look at your portfolio a little later. Because what's the URL for it? Just so people can listen. slash work, I think. Yeah, slash work. Man, you're. Do you ever run into trouble? I'm sure you do from your pjrbs.com. Yeah, it's intentionally difficult to remember or type in, but it still does really well. People don't type in. Yeah, people don't type in. They find it. They find my site through other means where the URL doesn't matter. And I've changed the URL a bunch of times over the years. It doesn't matter because people are still getting to where they need to get to from other places. Yeah, so you can really work with any URL. And, you know, we know lots of people who have obscenely difficult names to spell or pronounce or anything. <laughs> and they seem to manage to get away with it. So. Exactly. I had to make it more complicated because Paul is really easy to spell, except right. on my wedding cake where they spelled it wrong, which also who puts somebody's names on a wedding cake? <laughs> totally other story. <laughs> Wait, they spelled your name wrong on a wedding cake? Yeah. So we ha- we got married uh, in Joshua Tree. So we hired a local caterer down there and there aren't that many caterers. Joshua Tree is not the biggest place. And so we just said like, yeah, make something vegetarian for us and that'll be cool. And so she made this cake that said Lisa and Pu'al on it. Pu'al. Yeah. We we didn't, uh, we didn't pay extra for, for writing on the wedding cake, which I thought was really weird. Yeah. Especially since she spelled the name wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Did you at least get like 10% off something like that? No, we we had to pay in advance, but it was still a tasty meal. I'm going to start calling you Pu'al from now on. I so many, so many people do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I always think about like I'm a little jealous of James Clear because yeah. his name, like, it's just so nobody's going to misspell that, and it's so succinct, yep. and you know, oh well, you know, you can't have everything in life. No, exactly. Some of us are are stuck with, you know. I guess Barry's not that hard. B A. No, I just, I just always say B A R R Y. Yeah, but that's okay. Okay, so this audience that you have, you've sold be awesome at online business. That's starting to do well. You're attracting more and more people. Do you know about how many email subscribers you have at this time? Right now, um, I think I have about twenty five thousand, and it's kind of split a bit more on the Sunday Dispatches side than the Creative Class side. But yeah, yeah so it's a, 
I got an I got an email from my email provider saying that I've been upgraded, which is I love that it's called an upgrade. I'm upgraded to paying more money, but it's also because I have more subscribers. So actually, that's one of my business expenses that I like to pay because I love my I love my list. Yes, yes. So let's see. We I want to get into the the Sunday Dispatch versus the the Creative Class. Sure. But I want to go back and get to how we got to that point first. Sure. So because you wrote two books in between what we've talked about and the creative class, right? Is it just two or were there more? Um, I think uh, eat awesome, be awesome online business. Um, the good creative and everything everything I know. know. Yes. Okay. And then the creative class. Yes. All right. So everything I know was the next one. Yes. And so you start out that one, you, the first two were just ebooks and the, and everything I know you actually went print. Yeah, that's right. I used um Create Space on Amazon. Nice. So how big was your audience when you started to work on everything I know? Uh, by then I think I had about 5 or 6,000 people and on my list. They're all people who, you know, understood that you've made this transition to talking more about like design and business than vegan cooking. Yes, exactly. These are all people. I fixed my website to be more focused on my mailing list. I fixed what I talk about to talk about things that the audience that I wanted actually found valuable. And yeah, and actually that book, Everything I Know, a lot of the material is even based on the articles that I wrote for my list that did the best, that had the most opens or the most shares and that sort of thing. So actually, I, I super hack the way that I write books and take existing content that I see that does well, turn it into a feature length film of a book and make it all flow together. And I've done that for, yeah, for, for everything I know and for the good creative. Nice. And that's what the guys at Basecamp, formerly 37 Signals, did yeah. as well with rework. Though they're not even like that. They don't even try to hide it that much. They're just like, here's, you know, here's 200 essays uh, exactly. combined together in a book. Hope you like it. We added some illustration. Yeah, I yeah, I spent a, bu- a lot of time making it all flow together because it was sort of existing content. There's a lot of it's probably about 50/50, but yeah, about 50% of it was stuff that I'd already written that I felt all tied to one theme and that was actually made it a lot easier to write that book was I could look at data and I could look at topics that I'd written about and look for common themes in that. And then I was like, okay, this is obviously what this book is about. It's about working for yourself and my story. So then it was so much easier to write than the other books because it's just like I already had what the book was. I just had to like string it all together. Mm-hmm. Nice. And so how did sales of that one do? You launched on Amazon, so you're not going to have quite the same profit margin and all that, but... No, I think I had some kind of thing where if they bought it on my site through Gumroad instead, they would get a better deal or something extra. And then I focused Amazon just on selling the print book because I didn't want to deal with fulfillment. I didn't want to deal with any of that stuff. So did I sell it on? Oh, no, I didn't sell it on Gumroad. I'm just looking at my Gumroad. I think I did only say, no, that was, so sorry, what I just said was about the good creative, not everything I know. So everything I know, I think is at about a hundred thousand copies right now, which blows my mind yeah, because I've, incredible. I've sold it in, I think four other languages. Like I sold the foreign publishing rights, which I don't even fully understand, but people come to me and say like, Hey, I want to publish this in modern Arabic or in Korean. And I'm just like, sure, <laughs> let's do that. Because I would not be able to touch those markets otherwise, unless somebody translated the book and then sold it as the, the translation. They are actually sending, there's a couple places that I haven't received the book. It's kind of cool seeing your book with writing that you don't understand on it and in it. <laughs> Yeah, so a hundred thousand copies. Yeah, like half of those, no, probably about forty thousand were free. So technically, there it wasn't really sold. But those, because I put it on um, in KDP, you can set five calendar days out of ninety to free or to ninety nine cents, and then combine that with um, email marketing through places like BookBub or BookGorilla, and really build an audience quickly. And then the the like landing page at the back of the book talks about my mailing list and you get this free thing if you sign up because otherwise you don't capture any data 
uh, on your audience in Amazon. So you can hack that a little bit by offering something nice to people who have finished reading the book or started reading the book if they sign up and trade your email address for some free stuff. So did that do pretty well? Like, did you collect quite a few subscribers from that? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Like it's not, I would probably say, well, actually it's not pretty good. It's probably a couple thousand people out of like a hundred thousand, which they could, to me, it feels pretty good because they would have just been lost otherwise. Like I just wouldn't, I, I, there, I wouldn't have been able to know who they were otherwise. So at least that many people did get on there. So yeah, it's a win. It's not a great conversion rate, but it's still, people that I would, would not have been able to talk to otherwise. So yeah, it's far better than doing nothing. Cause like you yeah. said, you wouldn't have got them at all otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Man, a hundred thousand is a lot of copies. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it blows my mind. How many of those I'm dropping my pen here. Um, how many of those are split between, or between print versus like the Kindle and ebook? Do you know? Yeah, I think the last time I checked, which was probably about two months ago, uh, probably about twenty five or twenty six hundred print books. Okay. So it's super weighted to digital. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, but still, I I was surprised that that many people bought the print book. Like people like print books. I don't buy print books, but other people do. Just like when I released the audio version of the book after that, the good creative, I was so surprised how many people bought the, like the more expensive audiobook than just the like Kindle version of it. Like people, more people bought the, and you do this with tiers as well, right? Like you make more money on the highest tier because it costs more. And even if not as many people buy it, it's still a, a bigger revenue gen. Yeah. And you get lots of people who, I'm sure you've had this a lot where people are just like, Paul, I've been reading your stuff for years. I love it. And then you came out with this book and the max I can pay you on it is 20 bucks or whatever. <laughs> and then it's like, Oh wait, there's an option where I, for, I don't know, $30 or something, I can get the audiobook as well or all this other stuff. And they're like, yes, I love your stuff. I don't even, I don't even listen to the audiobook, but there's an option to pay you more money. Yes, I'll take it. Exactly. Yeah. Tude pricing. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. yeah you don't want to, artificially limit the amount of money members of your audience can give you no exactly to a really low amount yeah all right so then you did the good the good creative yes after that and that one you did on amazon as well and that one you actually pushed amazon quite a bit more heavily right yeah i sold because i'm canadian i couldn't put the audiobook on audible due to some country restrictions or something i don't know i'm a dirty socialist according to amazon so i couldn't sell it on audible so i had to sell the audio version through gumroad which is okay i make more money through gumroad anyways so i sold the audio version with the, the pdf and the kindle file on gumroad and then you could go to Amazon and get either the print book, which is illustrated or the Kindle version of it. Nice. And how did, how that whole launch go and how to do? Um, I think launch day or the launch few days, I think I cleared about seven grand on that just through Gumroad and then probably a couple thousand more through Amazon. So people were buying the audio version pretty much the most, which is, it was twice as expensive as the tier down. So I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. If you were to do another book, would you go the Amazon route again? Or like, what yeah. would your focus be? I think it would, I think it would be on Amazon just because I, it's, it works and it's, it's quick for me. Like I just, I know how to, make it work and they take care of everything. And for me, the books lead people to much more expensive products that I have now, like the, my writing course or my freelancing course and that sort of thing. And they're good lead gen for that. So I would probably just put it on Amazon, maybe with an audio version that they could buy directly through me through Gumroad or something like that. So there is still that top tier, but I like Amazon. I just, I look at my bank account at the beginning of the month and I see that they've deposited money or for create space. I see that they've sent me a check because again, since I'm in Canada, they can't deposit it directly into my bank account. And right. I just, which, which makes sense. There's all these international barriers on the internet that you can't cross. And exactly. Totally yeah. And it's a, <laughs> such a, such a pain in, in the butt with those digital, like, um, customs officers, I know the, they... the, the robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so that makes sense. 
you mentioned having the high-end courses totally separate from the books, which is something I've I've taken the other approach where I, I do one product and then you know to have just the book and add the pack you know the higher packages later. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to move away from that. I think if I were to do something again, I would do. Actually, I think Jeff Goins did a good job of this for his latest book launch, which was the book was called The Art of Work. Yeah, and he had just the book, you know, and. And he sold 20,000 copies in the launch week, which is just absolutely incredible. Or not in the yeah. launch week, but um, yeah, including all the pre-orders and everything. So effectively in the launch week. But then, you know, that sold like a traditional book in every way. And then he had a separate course, you know, which I think it was just the Art of Work course. Might have had mm-hmm. a different name. But then that has, you know, the premium price on it. I don't know what it was, $250, $300 somewhere around there. And then that's where he was actually making his money. Yeah. And so I like that idea of having the two separate things where one, one can go on Amazon and, and you can get all the benefits of major distribution and you can point your audience to that so that you can, you know, take advantage of rankings and all that. Cause once you mm-hmm. start to have 10, 20, 30,000 email subscribers, guess what? You can kind of game those rankings a little bit. Yeah, Exactly. And it's good because when you show up in New and Notable or when you show up at number one spot in or number two, I think um, James Altucher released a book like the same day that I did. So I was number two and I was in the same category as his uh-huh. and I was number two for launch week. So, but still like it's still the, the top three show up the most and then the top three new notables show up on the sidebar and then upsex Amazon makes a ton of money on cross and upselling. So if you get into their cross and upselling system where they're recommending your stuff to other people that generates some decent, that gen, like I see, I know when I'm in there or I know when my launch books are in there because it generates a lot of, it generates a lot of revenue. Oh, so you can just see it in the, the ongoing sales and you can go, Oh, I bet I'm getting cross promotion during this time. Exactly. Cause it doesn't, there's no try. I wish they, I wish they showed you like funnels, but uh, Amazon is a, a closed system. Yeah. Never going <laughs> to. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so then you've got the course, the good creative, no, sorry. Um, the course of the creative class. Yes. And that's where you really switched into teaching like full on teaching freelancing mode. Yes. I was hesitant until then. And then I was like, this is what I know. Like, this is, this is what I know the most. This is what people come to me with questions when I do offer consulting. This is what everybody wants. Mm -hmm. So I just had to listen to my audience there. And it's something I like talking about obviously too. So yeah, and that course has done done very very well. What well, has been out for since October fifteenth of last year, and yeah, it just cleared one hundred and fifty k this week, which is like just congratulations. Insane. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and th- there's a huge difference in revenue numbers. Like early, you know, we're talking about a book doing eight ten k in the launch mm-hmm. week or something, versus one hundred and fifty k in what is that eight months. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. About that. Yeah. And it was, it was the first thing that I had that was a couple hundred dollars mm-hmm. and that was, I had to hit that price point for my audience. And I'm so, I'm so glad that I did. Yep. Yeah. That's good. All of these big product launches where they're really successful are on, um, high priced products. Yeah. Like there's a bunch going around now. I can think of like four different friends who have done launches where their you know ten day launch week has done between a hundred thousand and two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and those are all on high priced products, like where the minimum price is like eight hundred dollars. Yeah, and it's there's yeah there's a market for high value and high associated price with it. Yeah, but you've got to put in the work beforehand. You've oh got, yeah, you have to deliver so much value over the years leading up to that to your audience for free. That when you're charging for something, they're just like, you know what? I've already gotten thousands of dollars worth of value from you. And, you know, you've over delivered up until this point that obviously what you're selling now is going to be fantastic, but I don't even need to be convinced of it necessarily because I've learned so much. Exactly. And I see, yeah, because I write, I write for my mailing list once a week and I've done that every single Sunday for almost three years now. I guess, yeah, because I launched the, my mailing list in November 2012. So, yeah. And so, yeah, when I when I launch a product, it's like you've been giving me, you've been showing up in my inbox every Sunday with 
useful, awesome, helpful information. When you have something for sale, it's reciprocity. (laughs) Yes. So I'm a writer, not a talker. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We'll, we'll let it slide this once. Yeah. So that consistency is really important. And that's something that I've done off and on the time. Well, you can't really do consistency off and on. So (laughs) I have not been consistent. We'll just go with that. Yeah. Uh, But the times that I've had the best growth in my business and the best results and, you know, all the requests to come speak at conferences and all of that are always when I'm putting out a significant amount of content on a regular basis. And so you've got to show up and produce the content. But I think that that format of, you know, your Sunday dispatch or James Clear publishing what every Monday and Thursday. Yeah. Chris Gilbo did that forever or still does. Uh, Well, now I think he does five days a week or something. You know, he did Monday and Thursday for a very, very long time. Yeah. Consistency is really important. Exactly. Go with like Seth Godin, do it every day. Some days it might be a sentence, but, um, Dropping my pen again. I, I, I keep fiddling with things. And... Same. I've got a twist tie that I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so Seth Godin, now he's like three months ahead on what he's writing. Wow. Um, I get a month ahead and I'm like, this is the best ever. I'm leaving. <laughs> Are you able to stick? Like, do you stay a month ahead or, or a couple weeks ahead normally? Or does it I'm, like. Yeah. If I'm less, if I'm not two weeks ahead, I feel nervous. So yeah, I'm usually about three or four weeks ahead and sometimes a lot more. Like sometimes I find that chunking like tasks really helps me get those tasks done quicker. So if I'm like writing articles, I just sit down and write like five or six articles or at least try to, and just like punch, punch them out as opposed to like sitting down once a week and trying to write one article. It's tough. See, I, I have a hard time writing more than, I don't know, maybe 1500 or 2000 words in a sitting or maybe even in a a day, like it's still pretty hard for me. And so getting much beyond that is a challenge. So like, I don't think I've ever had a day where I've written like 10,000 words or something. Yeah, I think, yeah, I I probably haven't hit 10,000 either. I probably hit five or six a couple times. It weren't good words at that point because that's just, that's just volume, (laughs) but it's enough to go back and edit later and make and pull the gems out if there are any. But as far as batching content, I, I like doing that in other, in other media types, like, you know, I'll batch podcast creation, um, Mm -hmm. I, I haven't announced it yet, but I'm about to do a video show. And, you know, so all those episodes are going to be batched actually just before I was setting up the studio right before we hopped on this call. That's why I was like two minutes, three minutes late. Um, so I was setting up cameras and getting all that ready. Uh, but that'll be something, you know, where there will be a bunch of, you know, two minute episodes, but we're going to shoot 15 to 20 at a time. Yeah. Especially with video. It makes so much because it takes. So as you know, it takes so long to set up all of that. <laughs> So you've gotten to this point where you have a substantial audience. You're putting things out consistently. What I've been wondering is, is there a huge benefit, like even or an unexpected benefit that's come from having an audience where you've, where you've just realized like, I can't believe this is happening or I can't believe I have this opportunity or, you know, this amazing thing has come purely because of my audience. Yeah, all the, all the, like it, it is a series of little things, but a couple like big, like one big thing that I can think of is I typically put my article in the newsletter. Like if you want to read it, you just read it in your email. And then I wrote a couple articles that were like five or 6,000 words long. And I'm like, this is kind of stretching somebody sitting in their email program. So I put it on Medium and I put, so I sent out my email blast. And I said, you can read it on Medium because it's so long. And if you like it, recommend it. And then within a couple minutes of sending that out, I realized that I was like in the top 10 on Medium for reads. And then like an hour later, I was number one. And then like three days later, I was still number one. And it had, it got like, because of my audience was the catalyst for reading it and sharing it on Medium. It it was like I think it's over one hundred and fifty thousand reads now on Medium, and it's like this is more than more than typical for me. And I was just like, what twenty thousand people to it or something? Yeah, I pointed fifteen thousand people. The fifteen thousand people got that email, 
And yeah, it was, I was like, I can't, I can use my audience to like do things that are mutually beneficial. They get to read an article that they're interested in and then they get to share it or recommend it. And it helps me get to the top of an existing ecosystem, which is typically hard to get to the top of. And then that's the initial traction that it needs to catapult it to like, it was, it was syndicated in like Newsweek and stuff. And I'm like, I guess I write for Newsweek now. Oh, wow. So is that something that you've, you've maintained where you're publishing more things on medium or do you save that just for some extra special, ridiculously long content? Yeah, that was just a a save for ridiculously long content. Another thing that I did was I try to once a year kind of poll my audience, my mailing list audience and see what they're working on, what they're struggling with, what they like that I'm talking about, what they wish that I was talking about. You always get weird answers for that, man. (laughs) I just looking through the survey results for the people filling in other instead of picking a topic. It's like, I can't even repeat some of those things. (laughs) There's some dirty, dirty people (laughs) on my mailing list. But so I surveyed my audience and I was like, I wonder if everybody on my mailing list has my books. I can know a lot of them do. So at the end of the survey, I said, if, Thank you for filling out the survey, first of all. I appreciate it. And here's a picture of me high-fiving or something stupid because that's what I do. And then I'm like, if you don't have a copy of my books, you can buy a bundle of my books at 50% off. And I was just like, I I don't even know if anybody's going to buy it. But I think I I cleared like about $3,000 in 24 hours just from that. Just from people that I thought had some of my books from like Amazon or that that aren't segmented because they bought it through Gumroad. And I was like, holy crap, like one, I got like thousands of people's answers and I got a whole bunch of valuable research for what I'm going to build next. But as well, like I made money, sir, I made money asking my audience to do something for me and then they paid me for it. Some of them. So I was like, this is like, this is kind of, this is really cool. Yeah. All kinds of remarkable things happen when, when you build an audience and you show up and deliver value to them on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of like, obviously, as you know, like it's a lot of work, like writing an article a week that then goes to at least one copy editor and then the price of like mailing lists or illustrations or that sort of like, it's a lot of work. Yeah. But it's, I also see the, the value of that for myself as a business person, because I see that when I release things, they make money. And I've even tried buying at, like I tried, cause I'm like, I'm not just going to dismiss Google ads or Facebook ads for retargeting or all that. I'm going to try it. And I did try it and I threw quite a bit of money at it and I hired like experts on that to do it. Cause I don't know what I'm doing for that. And the conversion rates were decent, but the conversion rates were not as good as like people signing up for my list and getting interested in my stuff or people reading articles and then buying something. So it's just, I don't know. And I feel like, content, like releasing content and value and that sort of thing just lines up more with what I, how I like to show up in the world anyways. So just like, yeah, this, this content thing, there's something here, I think. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Especially when it's, I'm going to write a post on this soon, but it's like what all content marketers are getting wrong because content marketing is now this really popular thing and every software company and everyone out there is trying to build an, you know, build an audience and their email Mm -hmm. list and and they're doing it all through putting out like how to be better at, you know, using our tool, how to be a better freelancer and all this stuff. And they're, they're churning out content and it's list posts and, and it's totally yep. generic. And so, and everyone who talks about content marketing, I'm just like, you're missing the most important part of it, which is having a voice and having a story to tell. And, you know, and so I, I get frustrated at, well, now I see services popping up where uh, people are saying like, oh, there was one where it was basically like, if you're running a company, you should not be writing content because that's someone else's job. The content is just part of marketing and like hire us and we'll write yeah. your content and, and make sure you're publishing two blog posts a week or whatever. And I was just saying they're like cringing at this whole thing because it's like, I don't know, creating content farms is so much the opposite uh, yeah. what it means to really build an audience. Exactly. People like my content because it's me. Like everybody else is writing about the exact same topic that you and I are writing about, but it's because we write about it in our own voice 
that people that it resonates with people and that people are like, Oh, I think that because I like Paul's voice or Nathan's voice, like I want to buy their product. Cause then that's more of their voice. Even John Nolan, the guy who created ghost wrote about this on web designer depot might've even been last year as a while ago about how blogging really turned ghost into just like a little project into like a massively funded Kickstarter campaign and a pretty big ecosystem that was competing with the big guns like pretty quickly. And he was writing about not just like, here's how you blog on Ghost or here's how you set up a server that can run Ghost. He was blogging about like criticism and launching products. And he was blogging about things that mattered to him. And that was just that were things that only he could write about because it was him and his story. And it's yeah, man, it's super powerful to it's also super scary (laughs) to show up as yourself on the Internet. Right. Yeah. Because then you you're open to criticism and all of that. Yep. I'm just pulling it up. Ghost is now doing thirty nine thousand dollars a month in monthly recurring revenue. <laughs> yeah, that's and, pretty awesome. And they're totally open about that. If you go to ghost.bearmetrics.com, you can see all their numbers. It's up five percent from the previous month. Nice. And so, yeah, they've built a, a real business by being open and and all of that. And so, anyway, when I I, I just had to rant about it for a second because it really it ties back to what we what we talked about earlier, where if if a reader can get to the end of an article and yeah. not know who wrote it, you've failed as a writer. Yeah, completely. There's no point in you have in having written that article, then somebody else could have done it. Right. <laughs> yep. Go hire your content farm or, or whatever else. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, all the, you know, all the SEO people are going to be mad at me for, for that kind of thing, but that's okay. <laughs> so if what I'm trying to ask is for someone starting their audience now, let's say they're just getting that initial traction they're, or they're, they're just getting going. Do you have, have one tip or one you know mistake you'd want them to avoid or anything like that, that you would say, Hey, this works really well for me. Focus on this or anything like that for, for the, uh, someone with a budding audience. Yeah, it, it, it stems from a, a radical and crazy idea called listening. <laughs> and I think it's, so it, it's two parts, right? So it's listening, one, to what your audience is saying, and not just what they're saying, but what they mean, which is different a lot of the time. Hmm. And seeing what, because when you're writing or you're building an audience, it's about the audience, it's not about you. You are put into that, but the way that you create the content for it and the way that you use your voice to express yourself. But what you're writing about is, has everything to do with your audience. So listening to what your audience is trying to say or what they mean and what the quest, what the answer is behind the question that they're asking. Like if they're asking for like, Oh, I need more traffic on my site. It's probably because they want more business. So the traffic thing is important, but you, there's so many more topics that you could have because really what they want is to sell more of whatever they're selling, right? So listening to what your audience wants and needs and then showing up to them in a way that's unique to yourself, which is easy because you just be yourself. Like It's difficult and scary to do, but it's easier than trying to be somebody else. At least for me, I'm not smart enough to be somebody else. I have a hard enough time being myself. <laughs> so, Yeah, I like that because... And that's actually where the idea for this show specifically came from was from listening because I sent out an email to my audience and I just said, Hey, how many email subscribers do you have? Mm-hmm. Cause honestly, I was looking for people who would be a good fit for ConvertKit. Yeah. And then, um, the second question was what's your biggest struggle right now related to, you know, audience or any of that. And I got about 300 responses of people you know, just hitting reply in their, their email and, and, you know, typing out a quick reply. Yeah. And the biggest thing, you know, people were saying their biggest pain was around growing their list. And so then I thought, okay, I should create more content around that. Yeah. And then that's when I thought, okay, I'm going to do a podcast specifically around building an audience and the wonderful things that come from it because it's such a big pain. And Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize, you know, I figured that like, I don't know, creating the product and, and all these other things, I would have put building an audience somewhere in that pain, but yeah. not like at 95% of the responses, <laughs> like, wow. which, it, which it was. And so it's so interesting that we can use technology now to speak directly to our audience. 
like, or to speak directly to people who we want to be in our audience. Like in the past, it was like, we hire some like fancy six figure consultants to do like market research. It's like, yeah. Now it's just like you talk to them. Right. Yeah. I sent out an email that's, you know, just says, Hey, I have a quick question. What are you struggling with right now? Exactly. You know, Nathan, you know, signed Nathan. Yeah. And they hit reply and they go, well, this is what I'm struggling with. Yeah. You can also totally do that in your autoresponder sequence. Brendan Dunn does that really well. When someone signs up for his email list, I think it's like the, like the third or fourth email somewhere in there. It says, uh, what's the biggest struggle in your freelancing career right now? Or some question like that. And he just gets really great responses and he just files them all away in, in Gmail. Um, yeah to come back to later. Um, yeah, I do the same in my, cause the, the creative class has a, a free, like a, a drip sequence for free. And that's the end of that before I pitch the paid course even is a question like that and a framing of that question, which I find really helpful because then as well, I, I can take what people are struggling with. And if it applies to the class, I update some of my content. Sometimes if I start to notice like, a lot of trends. I'll update sales copy and test it to see, like now that I'm using language that my audience actually uses to describe their pain. If that applies to what I teach in the course anyways, then how does this convert better? And it typically does actually convert better if I use language that my audience uses instead of language that I use as a person who's the teacher, not the student. Although arguably I'll learn more than my students by teaching the course. Yeah, it's it's good when you finally sit down to teach something, then you actually have to I guess you know you have to formalize all your thoughts and all your random musings on the subject. So you end up learning a lot by, by like I learned a ton through teaching design. Cause I'm like, okay, what are the actual principles that I use when I make a decision in, in a design? Yeah. You have to question everything and you're like, that, that's why I do that. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. Write consistently, teach, listen to your audience, have your own voice. Those are all, all critical things to, to get the audience. So Paul, I've taken up a lot of your time, so we should probably wrap things up with, uh, where should people go on the web to find you? So if you could try going to my website, pjrvs.com, or if you Google Paul Jarvis, not Pual Jarvis, I'm the front page of Google for my name. So that's good. I'm no, no longer because Jar Iron Man's AI is also called Jarvis, but I bumped uh. I, I've bumped him out. I think it's like Paul Bethany is the voice of him. But I, so his picture used to show up, which is better because he's better looking than me anyways. <laughs> but I totally bumped the whole front page. So my mailing list is the best place to hear from me. And that's if you go to my website, it's everywhere because that's a, the most important thing that I do. Man, look at this. <laughs> it's just I, I just Googled Paul Jarvis in an incognito window to make sure that, you know, it wasn't filtered by my uh, yeah. my previous stalking of you. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you've got the entire first page. Yeah. The content, content marketing <laughs> and writing content. Yep. I'd also tell people to go check out the, um, the video for the creative class. Uh, cause I thought that was really well produced. It's the creative class.io and watch that video. And, uh, I just like it. It makes me happy and people get Most to see the awesome place that you live. Yeah, most of the comments I get from that are one, why don't you wear shoes, Paul? I don't like wearing shoes. That's why I work from home. And then two is, oh my God, your house is awesome. And my house is awesome because I live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Hey, uh, you're up on Vancouver Island, right? Yeah, exactly. An hour and a bit past Victoria. And I know you've been to Victoria, so it's a, a cool place to be. Yeah, Victoria is actually, if not my favorite city in the world, one of my favorites. It's like... nice. I love it. I love the, I forget what it's called, but the giant park, right? In the, you know, kind of up on the hill. In yeah. Be Beacon Hill Park. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I love Victoria. I need to go back. It's been like two years since I've been there. So you definitely need to come back. And now I know like you live there. Well, near there close enough. Yeah. Um, uh, Joanna Weeb lives near there. And then there's yep. a, a bunch of other people that, uh, yeah. Uh, Mike, Mike Vardy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Mark Johns, the illustrator. Oh yeah. It's a bunch of people. We have a little, there's like a little community of people here <laughs> on the Island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul, I will leave all of your links in the show notes so people can, can find you there. And, uh, thanks for taking some time to share everything about your audience with, uh, with my listeners. Yeah. Thanks. I enjoyed this. Oh, I should also say that you and Jason 
have another podcast. And so if you like listening to people ramble about all things business and online and life and all of that, uh, check out the Invisible Office Hours podcast. Yeah, season three starts this fall, and we have two seasons, obviously, prior to that. And if we also rant about zombies and vampires, because we can. Yes. All, <laughs> <stuff>. <laughs> all right. Paul, it's good to talk to you. See you later. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Paul's a pretty neat guy, isn't he? I like him. Anyway, what I would like you to do right now is to go to iTunes and write a review. Because we're only two episodes in. Still hoping to hit that new and noteworthy list, and reviews help a lot. So you could say something really nice, you could say something insulting to Paul or myself, whatever you want in the review, but reviews on iTunes really help. So if you would do me that favor, I'd appreciate it. Also, if you want to find out more about the show, read the show notes or anything else, you can go to nathanberry.com slash audience. And with that, I'll see you in the next episode. And another quick thank you to Kajabi for sponsoring this episode. You can learn more about them at nathan.kajabi.com.